If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews 11. We're going to begin in verse 29. We're going to finish uh, this chapter and read into chapter 12. Uh, but before we do, I just want to remind everyone um, that the University of Georgia football team are the national champions. And um, just in case you forgot, uh, football season starts in two weeks. And so you're going to be hearing a lot from me, uh, feeling a lot better this year. Uh, I will be here when we win. When we lose, I will not be here uh, just because I don't want to hear it from you. So uh, here we go. It's time. It's time. All right. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read and pray. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and then let's try to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to Paul um, and how that, how that lands in our own story. Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for the family of God. Thank you for the heroes of our faith. God, we thank you that Paul, in, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was able to say these words to a group of Christians who were, uh, in many respects like us, uh, wrestling with and struggling to be faithful in the world. We pray, God, that you would remind us uh, that we are not on our own, but that we are a part of a story that is much greater than us. I pray, God, today by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would locate our own story within a larger context. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I believe that one of the great lies of our age is that we are alone. I believe it's one of the great strategies of our enemy, the adversary, is to make us believe that we're on our own, that the work we do and the struggles we face, that we do so essentially on our own by ourselves. And what this uh, 11th chapter of Hebrews serves to say to us, uh, I believe what the Holy Spirit is saying to us through these words is that we are not in fact on our own. 
we're going to walk through this text and we're going to highlight a number of things that I think are really important, really worthy of our consideration. My prayer for you today is that you would have faith sparked in you. I pray that God in his power would speak to each and every one of us right where we are in a way that might be very particular to our own circumstance right now. And that he would remind us of that which is really fundamentally deeply true. Uh, And that may look a little different for each and every one of us, but my prayer is that as we meditate together on the word that God will speak to you. And so I hope and pray that you would believe him for that in these next few moments. The first thing I think Paul wants us to see here is that we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And I think too often in the church, we have overcorrected um, my, my grandmother's faith tradition, she, she was uh, a beautiful, wonderful uh, Baptist and um, they just sang about and talked about heaven all the time. And I remember being at her, at her church and it was just like heaven was so reinforced. It was so powerfully reinforced, but at some point it became a little like that's all we're talking about. Like, we're not even really thinking about this here. I remember as a little kid thinking, um, I, I think heaven is great, but what about like living for Jesus now? Well, I think we've probably swung the other way in many respects where I don't think we think about our story within this larger context as much as we should. And one of the things Paul is doing here, I think the Holy Spirit through Paul is he's reminding a group of Christians, not too different from you and me, that we are in fact not alone, that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. One of the ways that the church would think about this and has thought about it throughout history is that you've got the church militant. And I know that's a terrible term because we, we you know, think of like fatigues and army stuff. Um, but the, the church militant historically are just Christians alive in the world today, like Christians all over the world. Um, people that you may never meet this side of eternity are following and serving Jesus My son and I just returned from Africa where we visited with friends in Nairobi who are just in love with Jesus and making such a huge difference in the world. Uh, I'm so proud in in a good Christian way that we partner with our friends in Kenya um, with a ministry called Untold, formerly Care for AIDS, to provide spiritual and medical and nutritional outreach to HIV positive people in some of the most painful unstructured settlements in Nairobi. We belong to them. They're our family. But there's also the church triumphant. Christians who've died, who've gone on. We, we hear names of people in the great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11, but you know other names, people who have gone on to their reward. Um, what Paul is saying here is that as we live our lives, we do not do that work alone. One of the things that first drew me to the Anglican tradition was realizing that when I read my devotionals out of the Book of Common Prayer, the daily lectionary, that I was reading the same or similar passages of scripture in my living room that Christians, countless millions of Christians all over the world were also reading. I felt less alone. I believe that for us to flourish in our life with God, we need to remember that we're not alone. You are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Those you know and those you do not know, they're cheering for you. They are, um, they are in this beautiful community. And I just want you to stop for a moment and think about that. We are right now surrounded by a, a beautiful, countless, huge number of people of faith. And that means that when you engage in the struggles 
when you engage in your vocation, when you endeavor to be faithful, you do not do that in isolation and on your own. We are a part of a giant family. And in today's world where we are increasingly cut off from one another, we are increasingly cut off from family or relationships, there's so much division and strife in our world, I believe that this is a really, really important thing for us to remember. Here's the imagery that Paul uses. He says, you're, you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and you need that because you are walking a walk or running a really, really long race. So the metaphor that Paul employs here, specifically beginning at the very beginning of chapter 12, um, is that of a long race. A race that's longer than you think you can accomplish by yourself. And so what he's saying is, is that the Christian life is like a very long race, a race that will take you your whole life to run. Um, I actually think that the better imagery here is like a race so long that you've got to walk it rather than run it. Uh, It's a race that will take you your whole life long. And so what Paul says is there are a few things that you need to remember if you're going to finish this race. So the rest of our time together, we're going to be looking at what he's saying we need to consider. The second movement, but the first thing he says about considering is this, we have to put aside, lay aside weights. Um, Have any of you ever read A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson? It's one of my favorite books. It's about a guy who decides to uh, hike the Appalachian Trail. And um, he invites a friend of his who is uh, kind of a moron to hike the trail with him. And I so identify with this moron because he loads his backpack with all kinds of stuff because he thinks like I might need it. And then they get like 20 miles in or it might have been less, like three miles in. And the guy is like throwing stuff out of his backpack because he realizes that the weight on his back is going to keep him from finishing. Um, And this is the way we live. I believe that many of us come into this space today and we're traveling too heavy through life. And Paul actually draws a a very um, subtle distinction between weights that hold you back and sins that cling too closely. And we're about to sit with the sin because that's the next thing he says. But right now, Paul is saying, you've got to learn how to travel lighter as you live your life or you will not finish well. And some of us are suffering under the weight of things that are not bad in and of themselves, but there's too much of it. It's exaggerated in your life. And it's really important that we draw a distinction between wickedness and values that have overblown. For some of you, success or significance is a value that is neutral But when it takes on too much importance, it actually becomes a weight that keeps you from being the person that you need to be. Some of you want to be good for your kids or your friends or in your job, and that trends toward perfectionism that then becomes a crippling and debilitating weight in your life. Do you see how things that can be good, when they become too big, they actually become bad? Your desires for significance, comfort, security, intimacy, pleasure. These things are like a river. When they are within their boundaries and their banks, they're very life-giving. But when they flood their banks, 
they become forces of destruction. One of the things Paul is saying is, I want you as Christians who want to walk a, a long walk, who want to travel a long way, who want to finish the race, finish well, I want you to think about the things in your life that if you do not recalibrate them and right size them, they will hold you back. And so I wanna ask you to have the courage today to say, what in my life is exaggerated in terms of importance and significance? Your kids can be this for you. Your job can be this for you. Your marriage can be this for you. I sit with people all the time who are worn out trying to be something more than what they're meant to be. God wants you to actually travel as lightly as possible through this earth and through this world. He wants us to have a right-sized understanding even of the values that we hold. And it's the nature of scarcity and our brokenness that cause us sometimes to pack too heavy for the journey. So I believe that we need to think about what it looks like to lay aside weights. And some biblical scholars, many actually, say that some of these weights are actually good things that have become too big or too exaggerated in your life. Now, the, the deal for you and me is that that's different for all of us. God treats us, I think, like grown-ups when he says, I want you to think through and do some reflection on what's weighing you down. So I would just commend that to you. The second thing that Paul says, the third movement in this passage around how we finish this race is to lay aside the sin that clings so closely. And I love this, especially if you think about a race or a long, long walk, is he, he likens sin to shoes that don't fit you or garments that are restrictive and therefore cause injury as you're going on a long journey. And Paul here is inviting us to think about our lives, not just in terms of values that are overblown, but sin that needs to be dealt with, things that need to be replaced, taken off in order to see something come on our lives that fit. I don't think we talk enough. I don't think we engage enough at this church historically with the notion of sin. I think that one of the things that we've seen is that in a way to like overcorrect, from maybe the hellfire and brimstone churches of the past, you, you now have really, really well-intentioned Christians, myself included, who think and speak less about sin than we should for fear that it would sound heavy-handed or manipulative or coercive. And yet Paul says, if you're going to walk and you're wearing ill-fitting garments, you will not be able to finish the race. And we look around us all the time and we see people who aren't finishing well, right? In my line of work, we see pastors that are falling left and right right now. And I don't think it's just because we have like more social media that's sort of calling attention to it. I think that there's like a higher degree of failure among people in my profession than we've seen in the past. But that's true for each and every one of us in our own right. There are places where internal pressures, y'all, the word for sin in the language of the New Testament is um, hamartia, and it just literally means to aim and miss. It's like an archery term. It means you fall short of God's goodness, of God's plan for you. And one of the opportunities for all of us is to learn to live our lives and say, where am I missing the mark? Where am I not living in the space and in the direction that God has called me to live? And if you step back and ask the question, you have an opportunity to engage and repentance. And repentance simply means in the language of the New Testament to think about your thinking, to rethink, to recalibrate. But here's the problem, y'all. Too many of us are living unexamined lives. 
We're hurried, we're worried, we're distracted. We just do what we do and we keep doing what we do without stopping and pausing and asking the question, how am I doing and what's happening in my life? What's out of whack or out of alignment? And I will tell you this, if you pay attention to that regularly, you won't have the massive work of trying to catch up all at once after being asleep at the wheel. There's an invitation for you and me as we seek to live our lives over a long period of time to pay attention in the micro so that we can keep short accounts with God and with our own souls. Lots of repentance is needed throughout the Christian life. If you find yourself never having an occasion to tell the Lord that you are sorry and to tell people in your life that you are sorry, you're just not reflecting. Because we all need the regular discipline of reflection and repentance in our life with God. So I want you to just stop and think, when was the last time you engaged in repentance? And I don't mean just feeling bad about something. A lot of us feel bad about stuff all the time, but we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to engage that feeling bad in a redemptive way. The way that I turn the feeling bads of life into something redemptive is I say to the Lord without excuse or qualification, God, I missed the mark. I sinned. Would you forgive me? I pray the prayer of examine nearly every day. And it's a very simple prayer. It starts with thanksgiving. And then it, it goes to celebrating places of consolation, places where I really felt like I was tracking with God and I say, thank you for that. Then it goes to places of desolation, places where I sinned. And I ask God for his forgiveness and his healing. And then the fourth thing is I ask him for grace to live in an aligned way in the coming day. You need, I need, we need regular time to pay attention to the weight and the sin God wants you to be the kind of person who is attuned to and aware of what's going on in your life. Otherwise, we will not run the race. The next thing we see in this passage is basically Paul says, you need perseverance to run this race. You need to be the kind of person that finishes what you start. And y'all, we have a, an epidemic in our culture of not finishing things that we start. How many books do you have sitting on your shelves that you have not finished? How many projects in our homes, you know, you tear it all apart and then you just close the door and be like, forget it. Those are symptomatic, I think, of a thing that we experience and struggle with in our own spiritual life, which is a lack of perseverance, a lack of the, the grace of God that sees us through. And I will tell you in my own experience, the more intentional I am about laying aside weights, values that have overgrown, the more intentional I am about admitting my sin, both to God and to other people, the more I'm able to walk this walk. If you find yourself worn out, it may likely be that there are weights and there are restricted, ill-fitting shoes that God wants you to begin to name and to address as you walk through life. Perseverance is easier when your load is lighter. And some of us are coming in to a space like this, bowed down with a weight that you are not meant to carry through your whole life. It's time to let some stuff go. It's time to change your shoes. It's time to do some accounting for how we're living. And when we do that, the gift of perseverance is actually easier to receive from the Lord. God wants us to be the kind of people who finish well. 
So early, uh, Barna, who uh, do um, statistical analysis within Christian environments, I was listening to a podcast yesterday that said that early 2020, um, it was like 35% of pastors were looking to get out of their jobs, not, not get out of uh, one church and go to another, but looking to quit uh, ministry entirely. Uh, now that number is above uh, 60%. 60% of pastors in the United States are actively looking to, to quit and go sell insurance or do something else. Um, so that's, that's a statistic that, that lands very close to home for me because over the last year and a half, there were moments where I thought I've got to get out of this job. I went through a remarkable darkness and burnout. And I remember sitting at the river just 20 minutes from here and thinking I am 45 years old now, 46. And I do not know how to do anything in the world except for what I'm doing. I have a doctoral degree in this thing called ministry. And now what in the world am I going to do? But pastors aren't alone. A lot of us are sitting in this room thinking, I do not know how to be in this marriage. I do not know how to continue doing my job. I do not know how to continue relating with so-and-so and such-and-such. I do not know how to deal with the disquiet that's inside my own soul. Y'all, we are the kinds of people who have to step back and say, God, help us to be the kinds of people who know what's going on inside of us so that we can receive the help that God wants to give us. Perseverance is not about white knuckling or gritting your way through life. It's about receiving something from God that gives us the grace to travel lightly through life and to finish well. God wants you to finish well. He wants us to be the kinds of people who walk to the end. And we can. Paul says, if you learn to look to Jesus, you will learn how to finish well. And I believe that there's something really important here because looking to Jesus is not just like a prayer we pray at the front of a church or in a moment of desperation. It's learning to look at the man, Jesus, who endured struggle and difficulty and suffering because of the joy that was before him. He had a vision of a future that allowed him to walk through valleys and is now seated at the right hand of the father. That's what Paul says. He preaches that little sermon to say, you can finish well because Jesus finishes well. He has made a way for us. But here's the way the passage ends. And y'all, I think this is worthy of our consideration. He talks about Jesus and then he says, consider him so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. I believe that many of us are at risk right now of losing heart, of just laying down in it. I was there. Thanks be to God, I'm not there now. But I had to acknowledge that I was in a place of losing heart, a place of real compromise inside my own soul where I felt so disconnected and deconstructed in my own strength. And I believe that if that's where you are right now, the Lord wants to speak to you. But y'all, you've got to know the places in your life where you're at risk of losing heart. Not paying attention is not a great strategy for navigating difficult seasons. You've got to know what's going on and where you're most tempted. So here's what I want us to do. Before we come to the communion table, which we do every single Sunday, we're gonna pause and ask this question. Let's put it up on the screen if we could. Where are you currently tempted to lose heart? And I wanna challenge you to be brave. 
I want to challenge you to be honest with yourself and to ask this question internally. It could be a physical challenge. It could be a relational challenge. It could be a spiritual or internal challenge. It could be a job challenge. Where are you most tempted right now to lose heart? Let's ask the question. We're going to spend a couple of moments in silence for some contemplation and reflection. And then we're going to come forward. We're going to come to this communion table together. But first, I want us to be still and to ask some really important questions about where we're most at threat right now for losing heart. we're able to stand together.